You're listening to the podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church, a church in Gloucester, England. Well, our reading is Genesis chapter 19. Uh, the entirety of Genesis chapter 19, and this completes the uh, unit that we began last week uh, in, uh, in 18. And what you find in Genesis is that you get these fairly long units, um, and really you don't fully get the sense of them until you sort of complete uh, the, the unit there. So last time we considered how the Lord uh, met with uh, Abraham, he visited him with the three uh, visitors who, who represented the presence of the Lord and came in the, the heat of the day and saw the hospitality of uh, Abraham. And then we saw as it moved on to, to the evening, it moved on to the, the theme of God's coming judgment on the cities of the plain. So Sodom is the, sort of the chief city of the city of the, the plain. And judgment was about to fall. And we have uh, Abraham, invited really to stand and intercede, pray before the Lord. And then that's, that, that's where we left it. And so the events of chapter 19, our chapter tonight, tell what happens later that same evening and take us through the night and into the morning. So let us uh, turn to the, uh, chapter 19. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, my lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, no, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man, surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with him than with, uh, with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out, groping for the door. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here? Sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city, bring them out of the place, for we are about to destroy this place because the outcry against his people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out 
and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, uh, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favour in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it's a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. He said to him, Behold, I grant you this favour also that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore the name of the city was called Zoar. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the city and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord and he looked down towards Sodom and Gomorrah and towards all the land of the valley. And he looked and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. Now Lot went up out of Zoar and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zoar. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters. And the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father. He did not know when she lay down or when she arose. The next day the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him. And he didn't know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites to this day. Well, may God bless the reading and the preaching of his words to us this evening. And it's quite a, quite a passage, isn't it? It's one of those X-rated passages, uh, which is utterly um, well, unblushing in naming of human sin and wickedness. Um, and there are a number of scenes. There's five scenes. We're going to take this at speed. 
Um, and, and it's really at, as we look at it at speed that we see some of the essential message of this chapter. But there are five uh, major scenes in this passage. The first, we see Lot in the city gates, Sodom, Lot's welcome. And then we, it moves in verse 4 to Lot's house that same evening. And then we see Lot's exodus as finally uh, Lot uh, is delivered and exits the city. Then we see this theme from 23 to 29 of Sodom's destruction. And then finally that last scene, 30 to 38 uh, in, the, in the cave, Lot's shame. So there are five scenes and a number of themes which emerge here. And the first major theme which emerges is, is simply the justice of God in the judgment of the wicked. Abraham, if you remember, had asked the question, uh, shall not the judge of all the world do what is just? He'd asked that question, and uh, really chapter 19 is a vindication of that question. We see, excuse me, we see that God is utterly just in overthrowing the cities. We see that what was going on in the cities was really, really bad, that they were worthy of uh, God's judgment falling. But the second great theme we see is that God knows how to rescue uh, the righteous from that judgment. We see how Lot is rescued. And you think, what, Lot? Righteous? He doesn't appear to be uh, very righteous. Why do you say he's, he's righteous? Well, actually, uh, the New Testament tells us that Lot uh, is righteous, says um, to Peter, that um, if he rescued, if the Lord rescued righteous Lot, who was greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. Um, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormented in his righteous soul over their lawless deeds. So, so Lot was, was righteous, we're told. Um, he trusted the Lord, but as we'll see, he made all sorts of really kind of bad decisions along the way and was behaving in, in all, means all kinds of... doesn't mean he was, he was perfect by any means, uh, but he was saved in the end. We will see Lot uh, in heaven. So we see that, though, that God knows how to rescue the righteous from the coming judgment. And then we're also meant just to compare uh, Abraham and Lot as we go through, as we look at this great unit, and, and as we look at the book of Genesis, we're meant to compare Abraham and his actions and the consequences for him and his children and his grandchildren, and compare that with, with Lot and his family. Because uh, Lot and Abram, they started out, well, the, Lot was in Abram's uh, family, as you remember, he was experienced great blessing. But as, as the story goes on, Lot makes various decisions, and he ends up in this dire condition, really. And we're meant to compare them and we're meant to follow the path of Abraham <laughs> rather than the path of Lot and take there as warnings for us. And these things are here to instruct us in, in righteousness. So various themes as we, as we go through. But first, let's come to that first scene, which all takes place at the gate of the city of Sodom. So these first three verses, we read, the two angels came to Sodom in the evening. And this, if you remember last week, is part of that divine evaluation of the city before judgment was to fall. Two angels, you needed two witnesses um, to, to witness uh, for what was going to happen before, to, uh, to establish every charge, two witnesses were needed. Um, so Sodom was not going to be destroyed on the basis of rumour, but on solid 
knowledge. Three men, you remember, visited Abraham. We have two who go on to Sodom. Presumably one of the men who stayed behind was, uh, uh, was, was the Lord in this appearance who stood before Abraham while he prayed. Where we read, Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. The gates of the city um, are the, the place of, of public life. Lot here we see is embedded, to some extent at least, into the cultural life of the city. Uh, we find out later he's, he's married, and it seems his, his wife, Lot's wife, we're not told, but presumably she's from the city herself, from that region. Certainly his daughters are promised to be given in marriage to men of the city. So Lot is thoroughly embedded, you might think, entangled in the ways of the, this city. And here he is sitting in the city gate, a place of some prominence, some, some authority there in the public life of the city. Now when um, Lot um, saw, when he saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth. So his greeting here reminds us of Abraham, as Abraham greeted the angels. Lot's greeting is similar there. Um, but notice how Lot is alone in this welcome. There was no welcome from the community of the city, from, from the leaders of the city. It was Lot alone. Um, there is silence. In fact, it's, it's eerily quiet uh, at this point. Um, and verse 2, he says, My lords, please turn aside from your serv to your servant's house and spend the night, wash your feet, that you may rise up early and go in your way. So Lot, he offers hospitality. He says, come, stay, and then leave as soon as you can. So Lot knows full well the treatment that they are likely to get in Sodom. He knows what kind of city this is. And so the question is raised, like, why are you living there, Lot? You're a righteous man. Why don't you get out of town? He's it's, it's a complicated character, isn't he? What is he still doing there? Um, and they say, no, we'll spend the night in the town square. And they're perhaps here testing Lot to see what he's made of. Is he going to welcome them, really? Uh, or this is perhaps part of just that evaluation. They're there to see what's going on in the public places of the town square. But he pressed them strongly. Again, he knows the depravity of the city. And they turn aside, enter the house, and he makes them a feast and bakes them unleavened bread. So we've moved now from the, the city gates to Lot's house. And we see he doesn't just give them sort of simple provisions. It's a feast. And he bakes unleavened bread. So again, the comparison with Abraham, who offered hospitality in the heat of the day, in the shade in the heat of the day. And they, a Lot is offering this hospitality overnight. They're taking shelter in his house. But notice that detail there. They have the mention of unleavened bread. So bread made without yeast, bread made in haste. And this foreshadows uh, the Exodus. And there's very many hints in this passage which foreshadow the account of uh, the, the Exodus. So bread made in haste because they will need to leave in haste. And so later generations, when they are called to leave Egypt and they have the bread made in haste, they can think back to Lot and think, Lot had to get out of town quickly. We have to get out of Egypt quickly. So this is meant to be instructive to Israel. And many details that were written here in Genesis foreshadow then what happens in uh, the book of Exodus. And, and it's also instructive for us, but it's helpful to see uh, Genesis as it then works out in the book of Exodus. 
So they're there in, in Lot's house, verse 4. But before they laid down, the men of the city of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. Now, to the point here, this is all of them. It's the whole of, of the community. And, and so the wickedness and the corruption of the city and, by extension, the cities of the plains is not just a pocket. It's not just the seedy end of town where the problem is. It is pervasive. It's widespread. It's the whole of the city. So this is the, the vindication that, that God is just in overthrowing this city because it's thoroughly corrupt. It's spread to the whole of the culture. Um, so um, they call to Lot, verse 5, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. That is, that they may have sexual relations with them. They desire to have these perverted sexual relations with the men. Um, and so there's, there's a violent mob which gather outside um, Lot's house, to put it bluntly, to rape the visitors that have gathered there. It's utterly degraded, and this is just the very end stage of uh, sin blossoming and, and expanding in this culture. That it's a culture which is now utterly shameless, and they're parading the sin around in, in, in the middle of the, the, the streets, as it were. So... Um, so some, um, and we, you know, we, we live in an age with the um, last 20, 30 years, we've had the, sort of the attempt to completely um, normalise uh, homosexual behaviour. And so there's various kind of revisionist um, readings of this passage who want to say, well, no, no, this is it's not actually, the, the sin of Sodom is not really so much about um, the, these perverted sexual relations. It was more to do with their... Uh, pride and their lack of hospitality and so people you may have heard this people point to Ezekiel uh, 16 to make this point so some point here uh, so Ezekiel 16 49 um, says this behold this was the guilt of your sister Sodom she and her daughters had pride there we go excess of food so luxury prosperous ease and did not aid the poor and needy so that gives us a, a sort of a bigger picture of the corruption of this city. It was a rich, it was a wealthy city, full of luxury, which probably right explains why Lot and Mrs. Lot stay there. And there's a beautiful shops and lovely things to do. It was all that sort of stuff. Um, and so people will point to that and say, well, look, it's more about their pride and inhospitality. But the very next verse in Ezekiel says this, they were haughty and did an abomination before me. And the abomination there is that that's the, the word which then speaks of, of sexual sin. So that's the one you find in Leviticus 18.22, um, which speaks of um, sexual immorality in, in these terms. It says, um, you shall not lie with a, a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. That's uh, Leviticus 18.22. And, so, and the New Testament, uh, in case there's any doubt, uh, looks at the sexual immorality that there was in the city. So Jude 1.7 uh, says this, Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing punishment of eternal fire. So there was pride, there was inhospitality. There is a contrast between the actions of uh, Abraham and Lot who welcome the visitors and the actions of the, the city who don't welcome them, who are inhospitable, who are pride. Um, but this is part of this. This is part of the manifestation of 
uh, their inhospitality, that they not only don't receive the visitors, but they actually violently seize and attack them. So, um, verse 6, Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him, and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. So Lot here, he goes out to face an angry mob, and at this point, you think, well, he's acting with courage. Here he is as a, as a preacher of righteousness. Don't act so wickedly. Um, you could imagine Noah preaching like that to the, to the men of his day. Uh, but then, verse 8, he have this, this horrendous suggestion as he offers his two daughters, who've, uh, who've never known a man, to bring them out, that he was, sort of offers them to the, the desires of the, the mob, um, that they would be abused and killed, really. Um, and so he makes this hideous suggestion. You know, as a father, he should be laying down his life to protect his daughters. Um, and so Lot, he's described as righteous, and yet you see he's, he's tainted. He's walking in the ways of the city of, of Sodom, really. Um, and there's this, this corruption here in, in Lot, and just this, this horrific suggestion. And then their response, they want nothing to do with it. Verse 9, stand back. Uh, and then um, this fellow came to, to Sergeant. He's saying, look, he's an outsider. He's called the brothers. They're saying he's an outsider. Uh, and he's come the judge. And, um, and that's later how Israel would treat Moses. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. So they're threatening against Lot now. So then they try to, to batter down the door. But the men reach in, bring Lot back into the house, and shut the door. So here we have Lot and his family actually now sheltered, protected from what is going on around them. And this, this is reminiscent, um, I think, of the ark. Remember how uh, Noah was kind of put into the ark and the Lord shut the door. So here is this divine protection in the midst of this scene, in the midst of this city, here is the Lord's divine protection. And we see that in verse 11 with the blindness as the, those, they're, they're struck. There's this supernatural act and they are, are delivered here. Well, then we come on to Lot's Exodus 12 to 22. And there is need of great haste. And judgment is about to fall. They need to get out quick. But Lot and his family um, delay. They waggle. They wait. Um, so they ask, has he got anyone else, sons-in-law, daughter-in-laws, and so on, because they're about to destroy the city. Um, and uh, we find that the angels are, are not only there to evaluate, they're actually agents of the destruction of the city. So Lot goes to his sons-in-law, calls them to, to get up, uh, but they think he's jesting. And we have this theme of laughter again in Genesis. So um, Sarah had heard the promise of blessing, and she laughed. And here we have Lot's son indoors. They hear the promise of destruction, and they laugh. They laugh. So there's this, they don't believe it. And that's a very frequent theme in Scripture, that there's an announcement that God's judgment will fall, and people don't take that seriously. And that is, that is where we are at. That is just default condition of our culture, of any culture. We hear uh, that, that God is going to judge the world in righteousness, and we don't take it seriously without a work of divine grace uh, in us. And so um, they, they laugh at him. And so, verse 15, as morning dawned. So you think, well, what have they been doing all night? 
uh, perhaps perhaps uh, Lot and his wife have been rushing around thinking what possessions they might take with them, all the, you know, how, how are they going to save all these things to get out of the city or, or worrying about things. But they're, they're lingering, whatever they're doing. Morning has dawned and the angels are urging him, up, go, take your wife, your daughters. And still they linger, verse 16, so that actually the men seize them and their daughters by the hand. And this is really emphasised in the original, that it's, it's sort of dragging them by the hand to leave the city. And so we just see this amazing example of divine grace in the midst of this falling judgment. They're literally dragged out of there. Um, and they are, the Lord has sort of come down, to, they're being dragged out, delivered from the coming judgment. Um, so we see this just theme here, actually, the Lord uh, delivering his, his people from uh, the coming judgment. And verse 17, um, as they, they, they brought them out, say, escape, run for your lives, don't stop. And then Lot is inter- he's praying, uh, oh no, my Lord. So Lot here is still dragging his feet, still making excuses and really praying. Whereas uh, Abraham interceded for Lot and interceded for the city, Lot is just seems to be wanting to to continue to live this this sort of life and comfort and the idea of of fleeing uh, too far is too much for him and he doesn't trust God's ability to preserve him Um, and so he wants to escape to this little little city so one of the cities of the plain was this little city and part of what what's going on there is that that Abraham prayed that um, that the city might be delivered, and the city of Sodom, and that was not delivered, but this little city was delivered. So they escaped to this this, uh, small city of Zoar. So we have lots of escape, and then 23 to 29, we have actually the destruction then of Sodom and the cities of the plain. The sun's risen, Lot comes to Zoar, and the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire. This is the, the brimstone, the original fire and brimstone passage out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and the inhabitants and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and became a pillar of salt. So she turned back, uh, looking, perhaps longing for the cities from where he came. That was for her, her home. They'd invested so much of their life there. And she turned back and didn't heed the warning there. And so she would uh, stand as a warning to Israel after her, not to look back, not to turn back to Egypt. And the point with the, the pillar um, is that it's uh, you'd set up a pillar as a memorial pillar, to remember things. You have pillars set up to remember an event. Um, and so Lot's wife is there, uh, Petrified, and we don't know to what extent is this a, uh, some kind of natural phenomena or is it a supernatural phenomena? I like to think of her sort of just petrified. You, you can imagine how you do this if you're making the film. Um, but she's, she's there, a pillar as a warning to Israel not to look back. Um, and then 27, we return to Abraham and are reminded of his intercession. He goes early in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord, looks down towards the city, and he's there, presumably he's wondering what on earth has happened to Lot, what's happened to the city, has, has Lot and his family been rescued, has his prayer been heard? But then we have 29, verse 29, which is a, a wonderful summary sentence. So it was when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot 
out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. And so we see here, we say, so Lot is rescued, uh, here not so much on account of his own righteousness, because we've seen he's very imperfect, but because of uh, the intercession of Abraham. Abraham prayed and Lot was delivered. So we have that long section about Abraham's intercession in chapter 18, and that prayer was effective. God heard his prayer and delivered Lot, and actually delivered, not sort of, but one of the cities of the plain. So that is really emphasized by, uh, by the writer, by, by Moses here, actually the effectiveness of Abraham's intercession for his nephew Lot. Well, just this last little chunk, Lot's shame. Um, Lot goes out of Zoar, lived in the hills, so he gets out of um, the city in the end. It's probably a good move, and uh, lives in the hills with his daughters, um, and he lives in a cave. Um, and a cave, well, that's a place where you bury the dead, isn't it? So symbolically, if you think of the, the, the world of... Um, world of Genesis, this is, a, this is a bad place to live. Here we see Lot has been on this, this downward path. He uh, was with Abraham, and then he's lived near Sodom, then he's lived in Sodom, then he's escaped Zoar, and now he's living in a cave in the ground. It's the downward path, really, for him. And you have this plot with, with the daughters, their husbands killed, or the future husbands, rather, killed at Sodom. Um, and we see these, these actions that they have getting, um, getting Lot uh, drunk. Um, but one of the things going on here is Lot here, he has not provided them with, with new husbands. What is he? He's called to, to go uh, off to, to the hills. So he's called to go really back to where Abraham was. He hasn't done that. He's stayed in the plain, in the cities of the plain. So he has deprived his, his daughters of actually finding them godly husbands. So we, I think we should see Lot's um, failure to do that here. And then we have this plot of the daughters. And there's an echo here of, um, remember in Genesis, when Noah got drunk and uh, Ham acted sinfully towards Noah. Well, this is it's a bit like that. Lot gets even more drunk. He's completely unconscious. And then uh, his daughters uh, come in while he is completely out of it. And so um, you have that, that scene in verse 36. Thus both the daughters become pregnant by their fathers. And we have the Moabites and the Ammonites who then really, they, they live on the borderlands and don't live under God's blessing and they become a, a problem to the people of God. Um, so it's a, it's, a, it's a sort of a, it's quite a passage, isn't it? And quite, a, quite an account. Um, but as we draw together those main themes, we've seen... Uh, really, one of the big themes we have in these two chapters is the, the, the justice of God in the judgment of the wicked. Abraham asks that question, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is right? And so, so the, this passage is, 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 is showing us that actually when God brings his divine judgment, that is on the basis of knowledge and that is just. And it's showing us here that that is what is going up. The situation was really bad and it's showing us that God is absolutely just in, in the, the judgment of, of the wicked. Um, and God has promised us, hasn't he, that God will judge the world with justice by the man who's appointed by Jesus Christ with absolute justice and perfectness. 
Um, which is why we need the gospel, which is why we all need the gospel of the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, which is why we need to, need to flee to the Lord Jesus Christ, because uh, God's uh, judgment on, on the wicked would rightly fall uh, on, on all of us because of the corruption of our own hearts. So we need, in view of the fact that, that God is utterly just and righteous, we need to flee to Christ and find our righteousness in him alone. So we see that great theme of, of God's righteousness, his, his justice here. But then we see this, this thing that, that, that God knows how to rescue uh, his people from uh, the coming judgment. We see Lot is rescued. He's dragged out of the city. And I think just an encouragement here for, for us that God knows how to rescue his people. We see that lovely picture of, of how God shut Noah into the ark and kept him safe as the waters of judgment came. Well, here it is God delivering Lot, shutting him in, protecting him, caring for him, even though Lot was in the midst of what must be said was a pretty bad day. And so there's comfort here for God's people. If you've come to Christ, if you're trusting in him, he knows how to rescue his people from, uh, from, from, from judgment, from the, from, the, from the judgment to come. Uh, he knows how to keep us safe, even if... Uh, when the Lord comes, you're in the middle of, of a bad day. Um, he will know, he knows how to keep you safe. Um, God's, God's people, sometimes we do get caught up, or God's people get caught up in, uh, as judgment falls historically on God's people uh, um, around the world. You think of God's judgments falling. Um, God, God delivers people. Sometimes his people do suffer, suffer uh, and die, but ultimately God knows how to keep his people safe and uh, safe unto, in, into eternity. And, so, and then finally, we just see this contrast between Abraham and Lot. We are meant to pursue um, righteousness, uh, follow Abraham, and we're meant to see just the, the warning of Lot. And it's interesting, you see the decisions Lot made, they go right back decades ago. They go back to chapter 13, where he makes this decision to really separate from Abraham separate from the worship of the Lord and he, he goes to live near Sodom, goes to this really easy life. Everything was set up. He takes shortcuts to what he thinks is going to be blessings and he, and he moves there and then he ends up uh, marrying a, an unbeliever and then his, his kids marry unbelievers and he just, he gets saved but it's carnage for his family and we just see uh, the, the decisions Lot makes that stands as a, as a warning to us um, to actually seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and to actually do what Abraham is called to do, which is to, to order our own households and to seek the Lord and to, to uh, teach our households after us and, and all of that sort of thing. Um, but part of the righteousness that we, we, we see in Abraham is his prayer, isn't it? He prays. And I think it's extraordinary, his love for his nephew. We saw that earlier as he goes on this great campaign to, to rescue uh, Lot. Uh, and Lot is then really uh, not pursuing godliness I, I don't, in a great way. He's made some, some uh, questionable decisions, but yet Abraham prays for him and his prayers are effective. So I think we should, we, we, we see that, uh, the intercession of Abraham of course, points to the intercession of of the Lord Jesus Christ for us, but also it's instructive to us that our prayers are effective. Um, 
prayers of a righteous man are, are effective. Um, and so we are called to pray for um, nephews and nieces, to pray for those in our extended families and to trust that those prayers are effective and to keep praying for those people who perhaps made, um, as we all do, kind of rubbish decisions, but actually pray for them, that God would continue to, to bless, deliver, help them. And so we see Abraham here is a, is a simply is a pattern of prayer and a model for us of prayer and the fact that like, he's over here praying and over here God is rescuing um, his nephew and there is a, a connection between these two things. So there's this great encouragement really for us to, to follow the path of righteousness and, and to pray. Um, so there we are, um, Genesis chapter 19. And with that, let me uh, come to pray myself. You've been listening to the Sermon Podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church. You can find us out online at gloucesterpres, that's P-R-E-S dot co dot U-K. For more, thank you.